Hello, everybody. Uh, you may be confused. I am not John, and this is not Nick. Uh, but what we are, are two big fans of the Potty Mouths. Uh, I'm Bill Taylor, and I have I'm Mike Osterlink. Mike here. Um, Mike and I are probably one of the top two fans of the Potty Mouths, uh, and we've interacted over the years they've been on. And we're concerned some time back when their show went dark for a week or two, and it turns out that they were okay, they were on vacation and had work schedules. But Mike and I were conversing, hey, have you heard from John or have you heard from Nick? And then it led into, hey, they need some guest hosts when they're going to be gone. So Mike and I thought that we would do them the favor of getting together and giving them this nice little uh, recording so that they can plug us in as they need to. So Mike, it's great to finally meet you. Um, well, it's great to meet you too, Bill. Yeah, I've, you know, I, um, I will say I instantly connected with you on one of their earlier podcasts when they brought you in to talk about Jeeps. So I thought, okay, here's another kindred soul when it came to cars. And while I don't want to turn this necessarily into a cars podcast, I suspect that's probably where it's going to go. <laughs> Seems to be where, where our connections definitely lead to most of the time. It does. It does. So um, one of the things that, um, you know, Mike, they brought you in as their Jeep expert. So let's, if you don't mind, let's start there and okay. refresh everyone's memory as to why those guys thought you might be a Jeep expert. Sure. So um, I have been friends with John since uh, probably the early 2000s. And um, John knows me from my posts on Facebook as the Jeep guy. I was in a Jeep club in Michigan for quite a number of years and um, have been playing and tinkering with Jeeps. Um, we're actually on our uh, third Jeep right now. Uh, we had, you know, a 2013, no, 2011 two-door, a 2013 two-door, and now we're on a 2018 two, uh, four-door. Uh, it's a Rubicon. And um, we love this one to death. Uh, this will probably be, you know, the, the one that we keep forever and, and ever. And I was kind of thinking time-wise, it doesn't quite work out for my son to be driving it when he turns 16, but we'll get him something nice by then. And, but uh, like these Jeep prices are just incredible right now too. Um, we, we got lucky when we got this one. We got it um, off of a lease turn-in. It only had like 10,000 miles on it for a three-year-old Jeep at the time. And it was just, it worked out great. And I got it at a great price that it was just unbelievable. And so, yeah, I love the Jeeps. Um, I love what Jeep is doing nowadays between, you know, the, the four by E's, the, uh, the eco diesels, um, just, it's just amazing what they're doing with the Wranglers. And mostly when I say Jeep, I mean Wranglers. Um, I, I don't dislike the other Jeep models, but but it's definitely one of my favorites is the Wrangler. So to you, a Jeep, I mean, a real Jeep is the Wrangler. And that's the other stuff is yeah. just kind of clinging on the name. Right. Yeah. The, the most capable Jeep right now is obviously the Wrangler. And, and yeah. um, that's you know one of the main reasons why we got into the Jeeps was, you know, my wife wanted a, a convertible that could tow. And oh. hey, that, that leaves one vehicle on the market, and I like it. And, you know, obviously you got the Broncos now, but back then it was just the Jeep, it was the only convertible that could tow a boat. So that's what we so got. The Chrysler 200 convertible couldn't tow that boat. Uh, you know, we had a couple Sebrings that definitely wouldn't have towed a boat. So okay. right. uh, yeah, my wife's always been into the convertible vehicles, and um, the the Jeep, you know, just fit the market at the time we needed it. So so is your 
are your Wranglers, have they all been soft tops? Um, well, a couple of have been dual tops. This current one um, with our lovely climate in Ohio, which is a lot different than Michigan, this one is just a soft top. I don't have a hard top for it yet. I eventually like to get one, but this is just a soft top right now. So how is road noise with that? Uh, that's the only complaint I really have. You know, I took this thing on a, a journey to north central Nebraska. Um, let's see, it wasn't, it was probably about a year ago now. Um, I went to my grandparents' place to go hunting and decided, you know, it was the best vehicle to take because I could go on all the back roads that were out there and um, see, you know, get to the different hunting areas and things. And so uh, the Jeep was the best vehicle to take for that. But that was my one chief complaint, which is the road noise. Um, if we had the hard top and even if I put one of those, uh, they call them hothead liners, in that hardtop, it would definitely reduce the the the, the road noise an awful lot. In fact, there's this guy out there. Um, he did a YouTube video on the difference between uh, he drives a four by E, and so road road noise can really be a concern for the four by E customers because you know, they don't have any engine noise uh, drowning out the road noise. And he did a, a decibel comparison between having a hardtop and having the soft top on. And it was quite a bit of difference. Yeah, you know, it's interesting as, as you get into different drivetrains like that, it um, it changes the dynamics of the car. And, I, and as an example, and I think, you know, I, I once worked for General Motors and retired from there. And I spent a good chunk of my time, actually the last 10 years of the, the life of the Saturn brand at Saturn. And when we brought out the Ion in yep. the early 2000s, it, it had a CBT transmission, which changed where the engine revs were. So we're still talking about an internal combustion engine, but because yep. of how that engine was operating at a different rev range, it changed all the dynamics around sound deadening in the car. And it was, even then it was an interesting exercise. So now you bring in electric vehicles that historically are pretty quiet. Yeah. Uh, now you've got a whole host of issues to play with, but you know, greater minds than mine will figure that out. But it's right. it's it's fun to watch how these things can change over time. And so, I was going to make a funny about your Wrangler. So it only had about ten thousand miles after what three years. So it's just driven by a little old lady off road on Sundays, huh? Yeah, a little lady off road on Sundays, right? Yeah, it's funny. Um, it came up as a Kentucky car, um, and it had some weird options on it, like uh, mostly the Rubicons that you see will have leather seats and have heated seats and heated steering wheels. You know, they, they got all the options on these, um, these Rubicon Wranglers, but this thing, it came in, um, it was a soft top only option because it doesn't have the, um, the electrical in the back okay. for the uh, wiper and the, um, the squirters for the, yeah, no defroster too. Yeah, exactly. Defroster, the, the windshield wiper squirt washer thing. Um, so it didn't have an option for that. And then it had the cloth seats in it, which I like, um, but normal Rubicon orders don't have that. And then, um, so I got to think this is a special order, but it was probably a lease or it could have been, I, I got to look back at the paperwork because it could have been a bot and didn't really, I've seen this a lot lately with Wranglers. They really didn't know what they were getting into. And so it's a quick turn in at that point because they didn't know what they were getting into with the Wrangler. Let's face it. I mean, that those look terrific on paper and on the commercials. And 
it's a different beast in real life. Yes, it is. You know, if you're not used to the bumpy rides, you know, and um, finding every hole there is usually, uh, it's a totally different ride than anyone's ever expecting to get. And my stepdad, I call him my dad, but my stepdad, uh, he found that out when we went hunting this last year and, and he had, he accidentally had his seat upright instead of angled a little bit. And so it kind of jarred us back a little bit, you know, taking the rides on the, on the off-road areas up by, up in, um, Nebraska there. Well, you've, you've just helped me eliminate one vehicle from my list. So <laughs> no, and I, and I love them. I had an old 89 Wrangler once when I lived in Tennessee. I picked mm -hmm. up, and it was 10 years old at that time. So it was an 89 Wrangler and it was, you know, you know, those, the, the YJs with the square yep. headlights, nobody thought they were real cheap because of square headlights, but it was kind of my first fun vehicle. You know, we had young kids and it was the first time I could afford a fun vehicle. Mm -hmm. And I did have fun with it. I did all the, all the fun fix ups on it and sold it for, you know, probably break even uh, a few years later, but I'm at that point. And it's a terrible point where I want to get a new car and the market being what it is, is just terrible. See, you bought it right. You got it, you know, two years before things started going sideways. And, and here I am, I'm just like aching for something new, not because I need something, but I'm a car guy. And I normally, yeah. since retiring, you know, look for used vehicles, things I can play with, you know, same kind of thing. But you wouldn't dare look at a used car right now. The, the prices no. are horribly inflated and you can buy new if you want to pay MSRP or above in some cases. And it's interesting. I, I mean, I'm all over the board. I'm like a kid in a candy store looking for something different. Um, yep. We own too many Coopers. So I'm at the opposite end of the scale as far as the least off-road capable <laughs> and living in Detroit, you know, we've, um, we've gone through a fair number of wheels and tires with our wonderful roads up here. So, I typically like to have something else to drive in the winter. And I had this old Honda CRV that I fixed up and um, the listeners of the show will know that I run a website called vehiclenanny.com. And I chronicled a color change on that one. I went from the, the wine color that it came in and put a flat tan paint job on it. Interesting. Uh, it was a safari tan, you know, cause I wanted to make it look a little bit tougher. Well, mm -hmm. my son ended up moving back to Michigan this summer and he's like, I'd like that. So he bought it from me and left me without my winter vehicle. So here I am shopping, going into dealers. You know, I'm the retired guy that wastes their time on test drives and whatnot. But, you know, there are some dealers that are charging five grand over for a Subaru Outback or a Land Rover dealer just charging MSRP on Defender. So, yes. you know, it, it gets into, and I told these guys, you know, having come from that world, I said, you know, your customers are going to remember this when this mm -hmm. smoke clears. Yeah. They're going to remember that you tried to get five grand or if it's a Bronco it could be 20 grand over. Yeah. That just kind of, it sickens me. And I've actually been through this about uh, four months ago. Um, my daughter was turning 16 and I needed to find a vehicle for her. And I probably spent, I spent probably a whole five months researching and looking for a deal and researching more and looking for a great deal. You know, it, it took me quite a while. And, you know, I, I'd, I'd even resorted to looking at um, vehicles that had a, um, 
uh, you know, when they're totaled, what's that called? A uh, rebuilt title. title. A rebuilt title. Yes. I even went to look at vehicles that had rebuilt titles because it, the market would appear was just so crazy. In fact, I'll talk about that. So um, the first thing, you know, I didn't know much about rebuilt titles and I went and um, first thing I did is I called my insurance company. Yeah. So I'm like, I need to know, you know, if this is going to affect my insurance, first of all, can I insure it? And second of all, how much more are you going to charge me because it is a rebuilt title? And I got lucky, you know, I won't plug this, the, the insurance company's name here, but I got lucky. They said, it doesn't matter to them. They don't care if it's rebuilt. They don't care anything about that. They'll just charge you the flat normal rate for that vehicle. Okay. I'm like, that's awesome. So I'm like, okay, that's what we're going to do. So then I, I looking and looking for a while. And actually I ended up with, um, with a 2003, no, sorry, not 2003. It's a 2009 Saab 9.3. Ooh. So um, it, it's a decent vehicle. You know, I, I, oh, yeah. I had to research it because, you know, it's got that 2.0 T on it uh, the, as the engine. And I had to make sure that, first of all, you know, the, the insurance rates were going to climb because of that, because it yeah. is a sportier kind of sedan. And um, making sure that, you know, for a 16-year-old, am I going to be okay? So I ended up looking it up. Um, the only thing that concerned me was the parts availability for other things on the vehicle, which, you know, being that we're, you know, Saab is no longer, first right. of all. And second of all, it was a Scandinavian car that General Motors really didn't totally take on all the parts for. Right. So, uh, the, so I had a few concerns, but I like the price. I like the vehicle. I like the mileage it had. I like the gas mileage it's getting. Um, so that's when we ended up pulling the trigger on getting that that Saab as a third vehicle, which we've never been a third vehicle family anyway until my daughter turned sixteen. So, well, I um, highly endorse the third vehicle concept. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. I think. I think uh, when the Jeep eventually is, you know, paid off and everything, I think we'll still be a third vehicle family then. So, yeah, I, well, it's, I don't know, it kind of gets in your blood sometimes. And it, my, my dream and goal is to have a vehicle for all seasons and all reasons, you know, so it means you have to have something sporty, something all wheel drive, four wheel drive, uh, throw a pickup or some vehicle that you can haul things in. Yeah, you're pretty well set. Right, exactly. And we've um, we've had lots of different types of vehicles. I will say my my favorite, obviously, the Jeep Wrangler. My wife's favorite is a convertible Camaro. Interesting. Um, she's owned you know one before this, and she ended up getting out of it uh, because it was a lease at the time, and so we ended up turning it in. I offered her a few times for us just to buy it out. She's like, "No, I'll get one later. I'll get one later." And then, um, obviously, now we've seen what General Motors is planning on doing with the Camaro. Yeah. So we, we have a couple options here. Now, the, the main thing that she's looking for for the next vehicle is she really, really wants that 50th anniversary Hot Wheels Camaro. Yeah. The orange one with the black stripes, but she wants it in a convertible as well. So very rare vehicle. Um, you know, I've been looking and shopping, kind of seeing what the prices are going to be for something like that. And it's not great pricing, obviously, especially right now, no. as we talked about. So, but that is the, the next dream vehicle and probably the, the next vehicle that we will buy as a family is probably a, a Chevy Camaro, but it's got to be that Hot Wheels edition. So, oh my, yeah, I remember those, those were pretty nice. And 
you know, I'm a Camaro guy from way back when. Yep. And I, um, so that's always held a nice soft spot in my heart. But, you know, as I get older, I start looking at the practicality of things. It's like, oh, not much of a backseat. But then I've got this two-door Mini Cooper that has almost no backseat. Nobody would dare sit behind me. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But what if, you know, I love fun cars like that. And I think that that's what keeps things alive. And, oh, man, what what a great, great time, you know, from the quality and the performance of, all vehicles right now. I mean, you look across manufacturers and there's pretty good parity when it comes to, you know, you pretty much can't go wrong with any vehicle that you buy. Well, that's a broad statement, but generally <laughs> it isn't like in 1988 when you wouldn't dare buy a Kia, you know, right? those were yes. disposable back then. Now Kia and Hyundai are typically at the top of all the charts when it came to quality and reliability. So how things yeah. change, and I, th- I think it's a fun time to be a car person unless you go have to go buy one now. <laughs> right, so. exactly. Unless you have to go buy one. You know, look what Kia's done with the, their um, their new sedan, the K5. Yeah. The, the looks and aesthetics of these vehicles are just, it's like, it's a head turner. Every time I go buy one now, it's like, wow, is that one of the new Kias? And it's like, that is, yeah. The things that they've done with these, it's just amazing and I don't know if it's just because they, they've Americanized their companies more or what that actually is uh, behind their, their drivers for these, but it's definitely been a game changer for them for well, sure. They, the, the fact that the quality that they're finally putting in these vehicles too, oh. you're right. They used to be disposable cars. You know, you, you can look at the used car market and see that they were disposable cars, yeah. you know, for the prices that they want to sell them at now. But the new ones, I don't know, within probably, what, four or five years now? Kia's really turned around quite a bit. Hyundai, right along with them, though. Sure. You know, they, they're taking this seriously as, as they've proven to do that. And they're, they're great students of, of the business. And they've hired, as I've heard, some really talented engineers from BMW and designers from other European brands. And that's what you're seeing in the, in the products and in the interiors. The interiors are crazy good. And yeah. stylish and great colors. I'm, you know, I'm a color guy. I really like expressive colors, both on the inside and the outside. And I, this is my big challenge is if I came across the right vehicle that had this terrific color on the outside in an interior that isn't black, <laughs> I'm in. Yep. <laughs> I'm in. So, yeah, that's, that's what um, amazed me about these the Jeep brand, you know, how they're starting to stylize all their different interiors now. You know, Jeep didn't care about interiors back then. No, no. And, and now, you know, it's amazing because like, you know, the four by E's get a blue interior, the Rubicons get a red interior and, you know, everything else kind of gets this grayish, you know, more plain, but there's options now, you know, like it's options to put, you know, different kinds of things everywhere on a Jeep, as you know, but right. Um, but even coming from the factory, the blue and the reds is totally different than what they've ever done before. And the badging colors too, you know, they're changing up, um, their, their, uh, trail rated badges to be blue when it's the four by E's and reds for the Rubicons, you know, it's, so it's just, oh, the tow hooks in the front too. That was yeah, the part that kind of amazed me about the four by E with the blue tow hook. Yeah. You never well, see that. <laughs> see you being that Jeep guy, you are noticing these things and I think that's cool, but so we got kind of deep into this, this yes. uh, recording without really talking about how we, what's our mutual connection? How do we know Nick and John? You know, we didn't, sure. haven't talked about that history. And I'm sure 
the potty mouse viewers are wondering where are we connected or how are we connected? So you mentioned that you had worked with John. So yes, I had worked with John um, probably since the early 2000s. John was a a video trainer at General Motors and I was what was labeled as a one-touch technician at General Motors. And so he was the on-air talent and I was, you know, kind of the behind the scenes recording the data and doing database management, things like that. Um, So in the nature of my job was I had to kind of watch the broadcast to make sure that the uh, responses were coming in from the technicians out in the field. And so I, I feel like I spent a lot of time with John, even though we didn't spend time together. Okay. But John and I became quick friends, you know, as well, uh, because you know, we'd interact when he wasn't in studio and things like that. And John's just, you know, one of those personable types of people anyway. Oh, yeah. He'll talk to anyone. But um, yeah, so John and I met through General Motors Connection. Um, we kind of kept in touch over the years since we okay. both left uh, those positions. And um, then uh, I started listening to the podcast. I think it was they were in episode three when I started listening um, to their podcast on the regular. And so, like you said earlier, you know, we just want to make sure that we're, we're invested in this podcast now. You know, we're invested personally. Yeah. In the, in the guys and how well the podcast does. And we just want to keep it, keep uh, seeing it going with uh, John and Nick at the helm here. So then obviously um, John invited me on to talk about Jeeps because they wanted to do a Jeep episode. And that's how I met Nick and, and Nick and I became good friends as well. So cool. Yeah. You know, much like you, my connection with that, uh, that duo came through John and, and John had that neat reputation in the GM training world as this, you know, first of all, very knowledgeable in the topics that they wanted him to cover, but his delivery was pretty outstanding as well. And, and so that was kind of in the background as I was moving my way through different aspects of General Motors. And, and then we, uh, my last stint was in helping dealers with their digital marketing adoption. So we were, you know, we had many digital marketing strategies that we were hoping the dealers would adopt. And so we were doing these training tours. We called them e-summits at the time. And where we'd go to 15 to 20 cities, you know, bring in a crowd of 100 to 200 dealer personnel to do some training. And John was a a perennial favorite to bring out there because, first of all, he's bigger than life on a stage. Um, His jokes are clean and they're funny. And he just does a great job. And so I I wasn't in that group more than probably six months. And I attended my first e-summit as the manager of that activity. And everyone's talking about this John Quaddy and, you know, John's, you know, he's funny and everything else. And, you know, I have a dry sense of humor and I think I'm funny, but I thought, okay, here's competition, right? (laughs) Well, we all had dinner and it was like within three minutes, John and I were best of friends and and he knows how to interact, but we've been, uh, we've had a lot of fun over the years. And then much like you, I learned that he had this podcast and, and I had just retired and I got into walking, you know, every day and, I needed something to listen to. So I thought I'd give it a shot. And sure enough, you know, I enjoyed it because there's topics that obviously you and I can relate to as these guys are talking and you'll hear them on certain podcasts. They'll talk about Bill's walking. So we can't have him look at something and blah, blah, blah. Yes. Um, yeah, but I would, not watching the video is Bill. Hopefully yeah. not watching the video. <laughs> right. So I, you know, I just found it really engaging. And, and I used to call them afterwards and say, guys, I was laughing so hard while I'm walking and I wanted to jump into your conversation. And I think that that's probably the best uh, indicator that they had, they were onto something. And 
you know, clearly there are two different uh, frames of mind that come together. And, and I instantly took a liking to Nick. And obviously, we've all had a chance to talk with both of them. I haven't had a chance to meet them like I know you've met Nick. But it's um, they're two great guys. I think they have big hearts. I love their diverse topics that they cover. I'm hoping that their viewers and listeners also have that same appreciation because they do a great job in my eyes and, and they right. should really be, they should be growing this thing. That's right. Yes. I totally agree with that. Uh, we just want to, want to help them grow it, you know, kind of, kind of be that, that passenger along the ride here of helping them get through this and, and grow this podcast into what we view it should, it could be, you know, at this point. And, um, just a great bunch of guys. You're right about the diversity of the topics. You know, I know we just got done talking for, you know, 20 minutes about cars, but, yeah. uh, but the, John and Nick, the way that they can take these topics and spin them. And, and it's just, it's amazing to me. And it's always topical. It's always, you know, something that I'm probably thinking about or was thinking about recently right. and um, things that just going on in the world today that, that need to be talked about and things that, it, they just do a great job with that. And we're really, like I said, just trying to be passengers along with this ride and help them out as much as we can. Right. No, that's very true. I'm going to queue up one other topic and your video froze. So I'm wondering if you can. Uh, yeah, let me refresh that again. Click on and off or refresh that. So, um, you know, it's it's interesting. They talk about rabbit holes. And by the way, you're back back on Good. video. You know, and, and we've we've stayed in one hole today with with the car talk, but that's that's what brought us together. And that's what this is all about. Um, there was one topic and it wasn't that long ago, depending on when they dropped this in, but you know, John was talking about Amazon prime and he dumped Amazon prime and he had his reasons for doing that, but it's something we've probably all thought about doing. And I'm sure that whoever heard that topic was thinking, yeah, and then they're probably, waiting, what did you do next? And I don't think he ever got into that, but it's interesting. Um, we've all kind of fallen victim or, or kind of got to a comfortable place with ordering things on Amazon. At least I did because like, Oh, I, I needed some detailing brushes. I'll just go to Amazon, you know, and it, and it was great because you either got it within two days, sometimes the next day and in a weird situation, maybe the same day, but with um, transportation of goods right now being so tough, it's really hard to come up with a good source and they're not as reliable because they've had to, you know, count on certain shippers. And I know that they've got their own kind of last mile services out there, but it's getting harder and harder to get really good, reliable deliveries. And so I've taken to, to shopping more local. And I yeah, think maybe I, I that's where, that. yes. yeah, I think that's where John was going with some of that. And I know Nick, you know, Nick's a big believer in that. So it's interesting, but I'd be curious. And whenever this place, I'd be curious where people are going to buy their goods, you know, because we still like to buy a lot of things online. And I've dabbled with walmart.com and or Chewy to get the pet supplies and, and they've worked out pretty well. And in stores like Walmart, you can arrange where you can go pick it up at the store. And that's, mm -hmm. that's become pretty popular with a lot of that. But it's interesting. I find myself going to Best Buy a little bit more often than I used to just go online and, you know, I need a new headset or something. And it's, it's amazing how the course of events over the last year or so have changed at least my habits. And I think John was making the change for different reasons, but um, it does spark a conversation. And that's the beauty of, of those two coming together is that now they've got me thinking about 
you know, beyond just this convenience that we once had and, and taking a look at different things differently. So I, I think that's where you were going as well, but yeah. I think it's, it's fun to, fun to watch that those kinds of cop topics come alive. Yes. It's definitely interesting. And, and like, I will say like Amazon, the difference between Amazon when I lived in Michigan and Amazon here in central Ohio, it, it's like night and day because you're talking about how Amazon will, will bring in things and they're kind of the last mile delivery solution for, for Michigan. And that, I found that totally be the fact up there. They just didn't have the warehouses to, to hold things up there. And I know they're getting better. They're buying more warehousing space up there, but down here in central Ohio, we've got like, I don't even, can't even count probably 15 Amazon warehouses within a hundred miles of where I'm at. And so everything comes straight from them to our doorstep. You know, yeah. it's, it's, they're not just the last minute, last, uh, last, uh, mile shipment here. No, they, they physically, they get them from one warehouse into the other warehouse and they ship it directly to my house. Yeah. And, you know, I, I know John has his reasons for getting out of Amazon, but it's it, seriously, <laughs> it's, it's the convenience stuff that I really, and my family is really attached to Amazon, but you're right. Things have changed within the last couple of years. And um, I do find myself, I support a lot of local businesses now, you know, there's something yeah. I didn't, I did it a little bit in Michigan, but I don't know if we just got stuck in our ways in Michigan or what that was. But here in Ohio, we're trying to do you know, local things. Like I won't drive to a different Kroger that's outside of my area just because I know that the local Kroger, you know, it's local money. It stays here. Kroger right. sees that that money stays here. And, and, you know, that's the kind of thing that I want to kind of promote with that. And then the local shops, you know, we've only been here for a couple of years, so we're just getting used to where those local shops are for things like that right. and getting used to shopping locally. And, and honestly, you know, another thing that we're doing shopping more locally is um, the uh, Facebook marketplace. Um, you know, I'll go on there and talk we'll about a rabbit hole. With, right. Exactly. We'll, <laughs> we'll go on there. We'll look for something. And then we know we're buying it from someone local instead of, you know, getting it from one of the big guys that that's, you know, selling it out somewhere else. And uh, hopefully that, you know, eventually equates out in the end. I've sold lots of stuff on the Facebook marketplace and it seems to work out. Okay. You know, I've only had a couple bad experiences, but well, I think it's you know, worked out well. Yeah. The strength of marketplace is, you know, you have the Facebook profile that you could lurk on a little bit and you can, you can get a sense of, was this a recently added profile or they've been established right. and like, this pedal car that's on the wall here, which I'm sure a lot of people are thinking, why is it on the wall? But it's art. But I picked that up a couple of years ago off Facebook Marketplace from a gentleman quite a bit older than me who rode that when he was a little kid. And it was not in that shape when I got it. And I put off the restoration until about a month ago. So they've been sitting in my basement workshop for that long. And I finally did it because I thought I need some wall art in case I do a video like this. But <laughs> There was a situation where I bought local, if you will, but there was a story behind it. And I love that. And I think that that's what uh, a marketplace like Facebook marketplace does bring to the party. And, you know, plus you're kind of recycling or reusing things. And uh, so there's, you know, keeping the landfills a little bit cleaner, if you will, but um, you know, there's some great deals and, but yeah, I think that it's a it's a great thing to check out first. Now there's there's some you know 
shady characters that have appeared on there. And I think they left Craigslist and came to marketplace. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it, sure. it, it's all good stuff. And, you know, and I've used it, you know, I think about a year ago before COVID the year before I was pulling stuff out of my attic. And as I was pulling it out, I would take pictures of it, list it, set it aside. Okay. And as I'm getting the next thing out, I'm getting pinged because somebody wanted to buy that, whatever it was. And right. it was great. I made a thousand dollars in two days just doing that. Just cleaning out your attic. Yep. I, I loved it. It was like, this is awesome. I started coming into the house and my wife said, Hey, why don't you slow down this marketplace thing? You know, <laughs> we might need some furniture. <laughs> yeah. And my parents, um, my parents moved from uh, Michigan to a temporary home in Minnesota this past uh, two weeks ago. And they were selling a lot of their furniture on Marketplace because they were going. They knew they were going into storage, you know, for for a little while and stuff until their their new house is built. And so they were going into. Uh, they sold a lot of their stuff on the Marketplace before they actually moved out to Minnesota, which was kind of interesting too. Um, you know, some of it didn't sell, some of it did, you know. But and I got on my mom a little bit because every time she'd take a picture of the couch, the dog would be on the couch. And I'm like, you got to take your dog off the couch, mom. <laughs> You've just eliminated half of the potential buyers who have dog allergies. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, the dog's not for sale either. So you need to take the dog off the couch. <laughs> now, sometimes that adds a little bit of, uh, you know, interest to the ad. And, you know, you right. get those that banter. Hey, is the dog come with it? But more times than not, somebody goes, oh, I've got a dog allergy. So I can't, you know, even consider right, exactly. that. But thanks. Yep. Right. Well, you know, it's also, you know, the part of that being honest when you're selling things too, you know, it is coming from a home that the dogs were allowed on the couch. So yeah, I guess she was coming from that point as well too, with uh, the ways that she was posting those pictures. So, but yeah, it ended up working out pretty well for them too. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, one last thing I want to mention, cause we were talking about this before the recording and, and you, um, as you're talking about the different Wranglers and the four by E electrification of some of these vehicles, uh, obviously that's coming. There's a lot of discussion about it now, whether it, that sticks or not, but you know, for the guys that like, you know, the old classics, you know, we're starting to see some electrification of these. And, and I think um, Nick brought up recently, there was a, he saw a Porsche that had electric, I think it was a Tesla motor and battery pack put in it and, I think what he didn't know is just how big this is becoming. Yeah. And this is, this is a, a big subject right now because uh, a lot of these people want to restore these vehicles, but yeah. they want, they want the new interiors, you know, they want, they want the a fancy dash coming off of it when it is this fully re restoration type thing. And, and they, they don't want to deal with a combustion engine. That's got a carburetor on it, yeah. you know, and doesn't have, you know, yeah, it, it, there's a lot of that going on right now. Um, between these converting these classics, these beautiful classics is what we're seeing a lot of and, um, and putting the, the electrified components in it. And it's, you know, where do you put, you know, first of all, what type of electrical components are you putting in? Are you putting in the ones that are straight to the wheels or are you putting in one, you know, that, that's, uh, that, that works different, you know, almost like a four by E. Um, you know, in a hybrid kind of model, you know, what kind of electrific electrification are you doing to these vehicles? And also, what's that doing to the price tag of these vehicles? These are classic cars to begin with. They're very hard to evaluate what the prices are. But then when you electrify one, 
and, and talk about, you know, the thousands of dollars you spent on parts and yeah. now how much is it really worth? Well, I think at that point, you're, you know, anyone who's doing that isn't looking for the return on investment, clearly. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I hope it, not. <laughs> even your standard restoration, you're not going to get back. You know, if right. you're going to buy a, you know, if you want a restored car, you're better off buying one that's been restored because the guy that did the work spent a way more money than what he got out of it. But I do know, and I, and I'm a big fan of resto mods where you retain the styling of the vehicle, but you put some modern, whether it's suspension components, a modern drivetrain, and there is a pretty big move afoot to electrify some of these cars. And you see Beetles with these, you know, much like that Porsche that Nick was talking about. You know, they have a, you know, electric motor in the rear and it, the performance they're getting out of these, these cars is incredible because we all know electric vehicles, you know, torque on demand, basically. Um, General Motors did this and they're starting to sell um, much like they would sell a crate engine uh, in the performance div division. They're selling a um, e-crate motor, if you will, and recently showed one off at SEMA. It was a K5 Blazer. I think it was a 77 or 78 where they put in this, this uh, electric motor. I think it came from the Bolt, if I'm not mistaken. But battery pack that was a little bit bigger than that, and they spread it out across the load floor of this Blazer. But supposedly this thing just hauls, like, like mm -hmm. you would believe. Now, that's going to hurt some people's sensibilities. But I think now you've got something highly reliable. You talked about carburetors. Yep. Uh, you've got the, the original style of the vehicle. But you've enhanced the performance of it too. Uh, I'm intrigued. I don't. I wouldn't pay for that, mind you. <laughs> but I'm really intrigued about that. I love the imagination that goes into these um, these kinds of resto mods or future think, because I love the look of these older vehicles. That you know, especially if it's you know, typically, you know, it's the cars from your high school years or early college years that stick in your mind, yep. and those are the vehicles that. You know, we all would consider a classic. So for me, it'd be something from the 70s. Maybe for you, it's in the, I don't know, 2000s or so. I don't Late 90s. Know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I think that that's, you know, that's the way it is. But people are working around, you know, what is what are our limitations? But where can we go with these things? But yeah, you're right. They're, they're not cheap. They are no, not it, cheap. Yeah, I, I don't know what General Motors' price tag is on that type of setup either. Yeah, you know, it, just looking at it like uh, the you know the, the Tesla ones, you know, the the cost that they get they pass off to the customer on their extended range vehicles, you know, looking at those types of things and how I imagine I know they're selling their batteries and components to other people, other car manufacturers as well now. But even when they do sell them off like that, I don't think they're giving them full capability. Like as if you bought a Tesla, um, because uh, these, I read some reports about electric vehicle ranges, you know, because that's my biggest thing is, you know, yeah. uh, if I'm ever going to get into the electric vehicle market, I need to, I need a good range. Yeah. You know, I want to be able to go from, from here in, in central Ohio, all the way up to Michigan to visit family, you know, and I want to be able to do that on the one charge. You know, yeah. I don't want to have to, to stop over, you know, somewhere in, in Finlay, Ohio or Toledo, Ohio to stop off and charge for an hour or so. You know, I want to be able to complete that journey all in that one charge and, and get there. So, but um, if they could do that on a classic car, wouldn't that be amazing? Like, is it, you get that kind of range on an electrical, on an electrified classic vehicle, that'd be something else. 
And I'm not sure you need the range on something like that because I, I you know, you're, you're driving them to car shows and back or yep. you're going out for, you know, it might be the ideal situation. And, and look, if you've owned any of these and, you know, certainly I have owned a number of vehicles from the seventies and um, they're not efficient. <laughs> they, I mean, you can smell what they're putting out. So yes. it's, uh, it's probably not great for the environment, although it's great for the memory. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, that's, it's pretty bad. I, uh, I've met some other guys through listening to their podcast. There's two young guys, uh, probably in their mid thirties down in Texas that have a podcast GT garage talk. So I'll give them a little plug there. And one of them quit his day job and became an automotive writer as a result of their successes and just chronicled a trip in a Mustang Mach E from East Texas to Oklahoma. He took his okay. family with them and, and you could hear the tension in, in the video of him trying to find a working charging station. Yeah, and he'd pull up to one, you know, they had it all mapped out. And all of a sudden, um, only two of the eight chargers are working and you've got somebody plugged in, you know, eating, you know, lunch across the street. It became a challenge. And he said his normal seven hour trip took him 14 hours. Oh, no. He was, you know, and he did it for the story. Yep. But unfortunately, his family didn't appreciate the story. <laughs> so and I know that would be the first thing, you know, my, my daughter and my wife do not appreciate vehicles as much as I do. And my son, the same too, you know, he's a little bit more tolerant to it, but yeah. my wife, and my daughter do not appreciate vehicle rides as much as I do. And so I can only imagine what he was going through because if a, a seven hour trip took them 14 hours, they'd be about throat pretty much the whole rest of the seven hours extra it took. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I think there's a lot of work to be done there. Um, there obviously some infrastructure work that needs to be done, but it's, mm -hmm. it will likely come, you know, just as we've evolved from the horse and buggy back in the early 1900s to where we are today. Um, you know, just amazing. You know, necessity is the mother of invention. And I think there's so much attention placed on this. There's a balance in there somewhere, Mike, and I'm not sure it's 100% one way or the other, but I think if we can take advantage of whatever propulsion systems are out there that meets that need, and I think, you know, the classic cars or commercial delivery vehicles that have a set number of miles they drive per day and can return to a warehouse that can plug in, that's the ideal situation. Oh, yeah, for sure. And that's, that's another thing, you know, I was reading recently is Tesla supposed to be coming out with the, the new um the 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 lower priced uh compact electric vehicle and people these right. uh report writers were riding tesla because they said that they were coming out with the the truck they said they're coming out with the roadster they kept they said they were coming out with the semi truck you know all this stuff that they haven't delivered on it, but you look at it you know i understand why tesla hasn't delivered on those niche vehicles right you know, they will probably wouldn't sell a whole lot of um but it is you know these are things that, that to look forward to that are coming. Uh, yeah. Look at the new contract USPS signed for electric vehicles and yeah. things like that too. Yeah, these are these are things that are coming and will eventually come, and it, it's exciting to me. You know, I know it's not as exciting to other people yeah. out there for this kind of stuff, but this is very exciting to me to see how things are changing with the automotive you know industry and, and everything because you know it is very near and dear to my heart still as well. Yeah, it's um, time will tell. And I think that we'll, uh, we'll see what the adoption is of these vehicles. I think there's a lot of interest around it. I think that um, 
first of all, I think today's today's internal combustion engines are highly efficient. You know, I think they do a great job with, you know, the small sizes that you're seeing in these things, you know, who would have thought of putting a four cylinder engine in a big pickup? I mean, that's, it's crazy. Or look at the new Bronco, you know, that the base engine is that, and they say it's quite adequate. Yeah. I drove I a, them. I drove a I, Land Rover Defender last week uh, that had the two liter in it. And it was really, really pretty quick. It had eight speed transmission. And it was almost 300 horsepower. And it was a nice vehicle. So you can do it. It can be oh, done. Yeah. I, I mentioned I, I took that trip um, from moving my parents from Michigan to Minnesota. And I drove my uh, my dad's Silverado. He has an eco diesel Silverado. I think it's a 2020 model. And it's still only got 32,000 miles on it. And um, him and I like to play this game, you know, a gas mileage game. And uh, it's definitely been a competition you know, the last few years about, you know, who can have more gas efficient vehicles and, okay. and, and still fun to drive. So, and you I, did that with your Wrangler? Uh, yeah, I've done it with my Wrangler before. So okay. I, I, uh, I, when I took my Wrangler up north and up north Michigan, um, I was going with a few friends. And so with, when I was going with a few friends, I was sandwiched in between some uh, RVs with their, them towing their Jeeps. So imagine, you know, an RV in front towing a Jeep on a trailer and then me in my Jeep and then another RV behind me. So I'm in between all these taking their drafts, you know, so in my Wrangler, I got that thing up to 29 miles to the gallon going up north. And for a Wrangler, that is awesome numbers, especially that was it the three, six, um, yeah. gasoline engine that was in those Wranglers. That was unheard of to get that kind of gas mileage. So that was awesome. And then, um, so what I did with my stepdad's or my dad's truck, he's got that Silverado and I was, uh, drafting behind him in a U-Haul. So he had this U-Haul going and he had a trailer on the back of that U-Haul. And so I was kind of drafting in between there. I was trying to set the, the right draft area because he's got in the Silverado, they've got the, um, uh, the constant right now, you know, what's your gas mileage right now kind of right, thing. Right. So I would draft, I would pick my positions behind the U-Haul to try and get the best possible gas mileage. And so he had a, initially set like a 31 miles to the gallon on that, uh, on that Silverado. And so I, my goal was to beat that. I had to get better than 31 miles to the gallon. So I eventually got there. I took a picture of it real quick because we were driving and the next gas station we stopped at, I said, Hey, look what I did. And it, he had like 31.6 and I got it up to 31.7. I'm like, look, I beat your score. He's like, no way. I'm like, yes, I sure did. He's like, that is awesome. I'm like, I can't find a place to put in my initials though for high score. And he's like, ha ha ha. So um, eventually we, we ended up in Minnesota it was like a 600 mile trip, I think. And I ended up getting 37.2 miles to the gallon was the highest I got it to. Oh, and that was over a 400 mile range too. So you can, you have these different settings you can set. Like right. you want to see your gas mileage for the last 100, 200 or 400. He had it set to the highest and that's what I got. And he's like, I'm never going to be able to beat that. I have to trade in the truck now. <laughs> that's awesome. I said, yep. You'll never be able to beat it. That's for sure. But yeah. 
Hey, so, Mike, go ahead and refresh your video while I tell my story. Um, okay. So my uh, my little Mini Cooper is a little bit more fuel efficient than those vehicles, but I was on a recent trip. It was about like a two-hour trip, and I'm not known for keeping it close to the speed limit in that vehicle. So don't always get the most you could get out of it, but I was doing the same thing. I'm like, okay, I've got time to spare. I kept the speed. It was still above 70, but you know, not by much, and I was – creeping up my average fuel economy was 39.6 and that's not normally where this is rated at and i'm like i gotta get this to 40 right <laughs> yeah and i resisted resetting you know the the, the computer Good for that I, yep i wanted this to be legitimate mm-hmm. so i just you know i just played around back it down and by the time i got to my destination it was at 40 exactly and nice. i think i took a picture of it and probably posted it on facebook so i was so proud but um you know, it took a lot for me to, to get at that point. But I'm like, hey, this is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. This is pretty cool. Yeah, and th- that's what I've noticed, too, is a lot of these um, companies, it was a, I think it was a Prius that I had probably rented or, or driven for someone or something. And I, I noticed, like, oh, it was when I was in California. They gave me a pr- Prius as a rental car. Okay. As I was exiting the vehicle, I noticed it, like, kind of gamified the whole experience, saying, hey, this trip, you, this is what you did for gas mileage for this trip, and this is your max speed, and, and all this different information. I'm like, they're really gamifying this whole gas mileage thing. I'm like, that's pretty cool, actually. Yeah, I, and I think guys like you and I would probably be inspired by that and probably look for that high score, like you're talking about. But my wife, who appreciates cars but is not the aficionado, would just say, um, where I put the gas, right? Yeah. Or, you know, how, how do I make sure that I can get where I'm going? And, and, you know, she does it in a nice, safe manner. So yep. you know, sorry, dear, but, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not important to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So you got to bridge that, but, you know, we spent a lot of time talking cars because clearly that's our mutual love. And, and I think a lot of people probably feel that way, but you know, we, uh, we definitely have passion around that. And that's something right. I really respect in somebody. And I think that's probably why I took an instant liking to you, Mike. So I appreciate sure, that. I know, uh, I know it's exact same way with you, Bill. I mean, cause yeah, there's not many people you can sit down and talk with cars for about, you know, for an hour, especially over a zoom call. Most exactly. guys want to be in person and, 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 you know, and I also feel, you know, like I said, we said earlier, we're supporting our friends here. Yes. And, you know, this is obviously just one topic we can talk about, but um, it, but it's been great getting to know you over cars, Bill. And honestly, this, Thank is, you. this has been well, excellent. Yeah. And I, and I hope that, you know, our good friends, John and Nick, appreciate that we're trying to fill a void that they may leave from time to time by doing this. And if they ever invite us to do this, legitimately we may even veer off the topic of cars more than that's we right. did but but that's okay this is the diversity of life and and some of us are good at one thing and better at the other but uh it, i think we should probably wrap this up because okay. um i know the boys like to keep it under an hour but again it was great getting to know you better and i certainly hope that we get a chance to do this again and um i don't know who gets to do the john sign off you want to do it <laughs> no, i'll let you do it this time all right. So, John, in respect to you and honor to you, I'll just say, see ya. See ya.